Hello, everyone. Welcome to From Nowhere to Nothing, Ontological Oxymorons. I'm your host, Joel Bouchard, a doctoral student in psychology. And with me today is Mr. Norman Gayford, a professor of English and philosophy. If there's a topic you'd like us to cover on the show, feel free to email us at fromnowheretonothingpodcast at gmail.com or contact us on our Facebook page. We did a short series looking at existential philosophers some time back, but we have yet to examine the philosophical tradition whose beliefs present fuel for the fires of existential dread. Don't let my dramatic monologue scare you, though. Confronting the existential absurd can be daunting, but to not do so is to take certain aspects of reality at face value. And although arguing from presuppositions is a necessary part of many philosophies, how much we decide to question versus how much we take for granted determines how much of our due diligence we've done as philosophers in our quest to discover truth. Today, we're discussing nihilism. Yeah, that wasn't too scary. <laughs> <laughs> the fires of existential dread, that wasn't too much? No, it wasn't too much. Uh, although I was, th I was thinking in the background, maybe we should have, uh, but we would have necessarily needed to pay him Hans Zimmer's uh, version of the, the Joker uh, tune in the second Batman trilogy. Of, yeah. You know, <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, nihilism. Um, this is uh, going to be part number one in a three-part series that we're doing that is um, – I'm guessing if we didn't tell the listeners it was a series, they probably wouldn't pick up on it because, you know, we started out looking at a, a very broad yep. topic um, of, of traditionalism. And then as we sort of were thinking, man, you know, that's – even for our taste, that's too broad to fit into one episode. Yes. We started sort of picking it apart. And then as we picked it apart, um, rather than looking at traditionalism three different ways, we said, well, these are actually sort of three distinct concepts almost. So, And it all kind of starts with nihilism in, in one way. Which means starting with nothing. Which which is <laughs> – so we, we're going from nowhere to nothing. Yep. And, yet again. Uh, <laughs> yes. Yes. True to form. So what is nihilism? <coughs> It's many things, uh, as one would expect any ism to, as it gets interpreted by people across time, but it's relatively new. People will laugh because it's early 1800s when it first starts showing up, but that's relatively new. And we're not going mm. way back anywhere with this. Um, and it's, it appears as a word, uh, in, uh, Ivan, uh, Turgenev's novels and in a number of Russian literary critics and uh, social critics, um, particularly Dmitry Pizarov, uh, uh, really that, that's where the coinage of the word comes in. Mm. Um, and so, you know, we'll start with, rather than uh, the definition, we'll start with something that's going to sound like a Marvel movie with the Hulk. Right. Uh, uh, Pizarov is noted for saying, writing that nihilism is this. What can be smashed must be smashed. Whatever withstands the blow is fit to survive. What flies into pieces is rubbish. In any case, strike out right and left. No harm can come of it. Hmm. 
Now, he wrote that while he'd been imprisoned, and you can imagine saying things like that socially would yeah, yeah. cause difficulties. But but for him, uh, nihilism, which which is essentially the the meaning of nihilism, is is nothing has meaning. Mm. There is no right or wrong. This is where it it, it begins. Well, if there is no right or wrong, yes, you can go around smashing things, but why is it that the things that are left standing are are fit to survive? Because then you're implying a Darwinism that yeah. didn't exist yet. <laughs> yeah, so that that quote really foreshadows Nietzsche, who yes. is kind of most, you know, associated with nihilism. And I think that what you were just mentioning sort of brings up some of the um some of the the questionable parts of it, especially when we get into talking about active nihilists and those sorts of things. Yes, so, and moral nihilism and so on. So, so some. So we start with this, but then it becomes interpreted in a number of ways. It, it takes on a skeptical note. It takes. Uh, there's even a, a branch called moral nihilism, which is says that there are no morals. Hmm. Uh, so it's the name is a little tricky. Uh, it's defined sometimes as the rejection of all religious and moral principles, the belief that life is meaningless. And some people condemn it as cynical, but I don't think it has to to go there. Yeah, it's interesting because it has um, very – it's very adaptable. Um, you know, when I was doing the research, you could put um, nihilism – basically before any philosophical category. You could have uh, nihilistic metaphysics, nihilistic epistemology, nihilistic Ontology. ethics. Yeah. 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 So it doesn't necessarily have to be an overarching philosophy so much as no. you can look at aspects, philosophical categories, and be nihilistic about a specific one without necessarily being nihilistic about it. This is interesting you say this because when it is peer, uh, paired with materialism, that's when we move away from the uh, originally the original concept, more or less, which says there's nothing in the world that has a real existence. Yeah. All right, but materialism says the only thing in the world is material. Yeah. So you almost get to this point where you know, depending on your flavor of nihilism, it's almost bending back around to look at the back of its own head in some ways, right? Because if you have this um, metaphysical nihilism, you end up in this realm of unreality where nothing at all exists. Yep. Um, yep. But on the other hand, you know, you can end up with a, a materialist kind of nihilism where you can say, well, none of the abstract things exist. You know, any of these concepts, religion, morality, none of those things exist, but the reality, you know, the material things do. And you go, oh, well, th those are almost two contradictory or, or opposing positions. It, it, it seems that way. So th then that if there is a middle ground, the middle ground is, that, okay, so the, the nihilism, materialist nihilism is, wants to dismantle social order it it questions the idea of of social order it questions the idea of of authority in some ways we are finding ourselves in an increasingly nihilistic culture yeah right now being led into it by people who would 
absolutely say that they had nothing. No, no, we're not that. But they are, because that's where it's going. When you start dismantling social order, when you start questioning the authority of any social institution, Hmm. then you're engaging in uh, one variety of of nihilism. And I'm not indicting anybody for that, but you should come clean and say, this is what we're trying to do. Yeah, Uh, and that's a good foreshadowing of the next couple of episodes that we'll do after this one where you know you start to look at what nihilism is and yeah. how it it sort of diffuses into politics and how you know lots of modern and postmodern um conceptions are associated with nihilism such as extreme abstract art or these sorts of things but at the same time um you can look at some you can look at fascism or some of these other things that are very that appear to be based very heavily on order and on belief in a certain thing but actually what is explicitly being stated versus what is implicitly being practiced Mm -hmm. um in many ways is nihilistic is nihilistic so so this this branch that we're talking about essentially says that the only source of knowledge, because they believe in knowledge, which is interesting, so yeah. the only source of knowledge is, is uh, and, the, and the only point of it is, is freedom. And that's, that's the goal. And the only freedom is in recognizing that the only thing that is real is material. It's not saying watch Walmart every day and buy things just because you want to buy things. It's it's not that kind of materialism. But but that that they they dismantle the idea of spiritualism because it's not material and it's it's just a, an illusion you're weaving for yourself. And mm-hmm. and so, and this is why it picks up with Nietzsche in the, at the beginning of the 20th century and and all the World War One and uh, industrialization and so on and so forth. That's just dismantling the idea that spiritualism can matter. Yeah. All right, so I didn't have this question on here, but it might help for the listeners. Um, what separates nihilism from skepticism or cynicism or some of these other <clears throat> concepts that might be conflated with it? Let's start with cynicism. The, the basis of that is don't believe anything or always assume what someone we've we've translated it into always assume that anything anybody tells you is a lie again does that sound familiar people because one thinks it should um (laughs) it's it's uh it's more powerful than skepticism because skepticism says "Hmm, i think i want to check that Hmm. i it's not that i disbelieve you but i want to I want to fill in cynicism says, no, you're, you're probably lying. And, and, uh, you're, you're motivated just by your own interest. You're not motivated by anything past that. So that a little quickie on, on skepticism and, and cynicism, cynicism is just at the deeper end. What's the other one you said? So when we've done whole episodes on cynicism and skepticism, yeah. so if people are interested in, in diving into the, the nitty gritty de- details yeah, of those, you can find those. So how do those separate from nihilism as a concept, though? Nihilism, there isn't skepticism in nihilism. It's, it's out and out saying these things are useless. Hmm. There's, no, there's no, hmm, they might be useless. There's no, hmm, they're useless because it's all self-motivation. No, it's, 
they're useless. So, so or <clears throat> authority, so-called, or a social order, which pretty much makes for a lack of equalization because only freedom lets people rise to whatever they are. This is what Nietzsche was going after. Mm-hmm. That that ultimate freedom meant that those who are more powerful should rise. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's at least that's how it gets interpreted. Well, it's terribly simplistic, but that's but that's the start. So, the, but, but it also leads to uh, uh, two other responses, and one is existentialism, and and one is absurdism. So, if you're if you start with the premise that there is no meaning uh, in the current social order, and there is no authority, but you're also saying yet knowledge of the material world, rationalism will take you where you need to go. Which sounds mm. like it's a little conflicting yeah. in there, but but that's where branches of nihilism go. Well, the, one response to it is existentialism. Exist- so nihilism, let's put it another way. Nihilism says there is no moral authority. There is no God. There's no universal guide. Morality doesn't come from outside. A morality may well not exist. The 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 response is existentialism with Sartre and company, Camus. Even though Camus said he wasn't an existentialist and denies it, but but uh, saying okay, yeah, the universe doesn't care. The only meaning is the meaning that you make out of your life, and and the absurdists uh, say well. Nihilism is is ridiculous because it it uh, it it denies pretty much everything, and and the the weak go to existentialism because they make up this thing to coddle themselves. Mm-hmm. They make up a religion that really isn't a religion, and the absurdists say the only way to get through a life that's meaningless and and, and absurd is to embrace the tension between those things. And they use the, the myth of Sisyphus as the cornerstone for that. Uh, you know, Sisyphus uh, beats death once or twice, depending on the stories that you read in, in Greek mythology, and then and then finally gets caught up and and put in put in the dark realm and has to spend eternity pushing a rock up a hill, whereupon it falls back down the hill. And the absurdists say, "Good." That doesn't mean Sisyphus can't have a good life. It doesn't mean Sisyphus. It, it, it means that Sisyphus, if he can come to a place where he appreciates the world that he's seeing around him, he, he, he appreciates it for whatever it is, not good or bad, he's just experiencing it. And, and, the, and life itself is worth experiencing, say the absurdist. Uh, so it doesn't matter that he's pushing a rock up and down the hill any more than it anything else that he, that he might be doing. There's a tension when you try to say, oh, that's a bad act or that's a punishment. Mm. So their response is, well, if there's no moral good, then there's not going to be a punishment. We say, okay, if there's a punishment, it doesn't have to be a punishment. If you look at the world as absurd and anything you do is therefore absurd. And so pushing a rock up a mountain and back down is absurd. But at the same time, if you can appreciate the air you're breathing and the fact that you're alive in some way or other, even if you're in Hades, uh, <laughs> that's a little problematic. Uh, 
then you've lived the kind of life that can be lived. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, and, and some people who can't resolve that tension, you know, end up in a dark place. I was, I just, just read an excerpt from Tolstoy recently. And, you know, he says that he breaks down, um, people into a few categories. You know, he says some people just go around pretending that death doesn't exist and that don't ever think about meaning. And, um, some people acknowledge that death exists and, and acknowledge that they can't find meaning, but they drowned it in earthly things. He said, and then the strong people, the people who know what they're doing, kill themselves. Mm-hmm. And he mm-hmm. said, and the weak people can't find the courage to, and they just go the rest of their lives struggling to find meaning and wishing for death, right? And he put himself into that category. Uh, yeah, right. And and that's where the absurdist, this, one, of, one of my teachers long ago said something very much like this. And, uh, and you know, if you're in a, if uh, I was fortunate, I was in a, a liberal arts institution where I was reading Tolstoy and going to philosophy class, right? So you'd, um, but the, but the absurdists essentially say, well, there are three, there are three ways to deal with life. And as you just said, one is, okay, you can kill yourself, but that's, that's not an answer because if if life is meaningless, death is probably meaningless too. So that doesn't accomplish anything. And and or or you can invent uh, something to coddle yourself. They, they didn't much like the existentialism. <laughs> so you can find meaning, your own meaning, which is just a cheat. They they say or or you can live with the the strongest person is the one who lives with the tension of of what's going on in life, realizing it's absurd, but here I am, and so I'm going to go through it anyway. Yeah, yeah. So you mentioned that, um, you know, the term nihilism didn't come into to usage until the 1800s. Um, were there foundational thinkers in this sort of idea or concept before that time? Uh, not extraordinarily. There were, I- there, were, there were people who were... T- not- the meaning of life has been discussed since the beginning. Let me throw this at you because I'm yeah. curious what your take on it will be. When I was doing the research for it, um, yeah. one of the um, the posited founders of nihilism was Buddha himself yeah. with his with his philosophy. What do you think about that? I well, I don't. I disagree. <laughs> I, politely and 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 with due humility. Uh, yes, there, there are pe- there are people who take it to uh, attempt to to reconcile nihilism with any kind of spiritual discipline or religious practice, and I <laughs> I I was taught not to grind my gears when I was doing a manual shifting when I was <laughs> was a kid. Kid, so I'm. I, I can see why. why yeah, I've read this too, and I can see why it's it. It seems perhaps on the surface attractive. What's Buddha trying to get us to uh, nothingness? But, but not really, mm. uh, because the end result of 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 Buddhist practice is to get us into a state that is at one and harmonized with the universe. Hmm. 
So one could say that maybe that is materialist in a very strange sense. One could say that the material stuff, you become, you become part of the universe. Well, people say that about many traditions in, in death. We decay, we become part of the universe. Um, I, I think there's a, there's a perspective um, change between the two that, that separates them, right? Because I think with, with Buddhism, um, you know, yes, the nothingness, nihilism. I mean, you know, etymologically, those are very similar yes, things. Yes. Uh, but, you know, Buddhism is, is a lot about releasing a grasp and about, um, I think there's a lot of subjective focus on um, the emotions and and some of some of that whereas nihilism i think is zoomed out a little bit further it's saying it's not saying well emotionally you're trying to let go of any attachments or right, you know right. you'll enter a state of nothingness it's saying well no the universe as a whole reality as a whole knowledge whatever aspect you're looking at does not exist and i think that that is a distinctly different concept yeah yeah um so what happens to meaning and purpose when embracing nihilistic philosophy? Well, that depends on the nihilist you talk to. I mean, <laughs> if, but in, in going with the definitions we've, we've presented, uh, the idea of meaning uh, is rejected, but there are those who critique nihilism, and I think righteously, that say, well, if you're rejecting that there's any concept, you can't say you're embracing rationality because rationality is a concept, and therefore you deny the very thing. It's it's not hard to, to do that kind of serious gaming mm -hmm. of, of the term. Um, <clears throat> but I don't think the purpose of nihilism is is not to seek meaning and therefore that's that's one of those those through lines to absurdism so life is what it is it doesn't mean you're trying to figure out what it is it means you're just appreciating it as it goes which has a kind of buddhist yeah when the, i the element when I, when I think about like <clears throat> so, epistemological nihilism mm -hmm. right um mm -hmm. and it there's a couple flavors of that where, you know, one is that knowledge does not or cannot exist, but there's also one that says, you know, knowledge is, is just not something humans are ever able to interpret. And in that way, it makes the entire universe almost seem like this Lovecraftian monster, right? right? Lovecraft I think that sort of captures nihilism <laughs> to me is like all the different flavors you know, you, it, whichever you're looking at, epistemological or metaphysical or ontological, mm -hmm. I think that the whole, <laughs> that Lovecraftian flavor sort of comes in where it goes, no, we're not saying that, you know, it's evil or that it, it's indifferent or what. It's just so far beyond humans that it might as well be evil or indifferent or whatever. Right. It's it just, can be, it, Cthulhu comes out of the ocean once every 200,000 years or whatever it is. You know. Yeah. I, I shouldn't say whatever it is. I've read it enough times because I'm a Lovecraft scholar. But then, you know, it's, and, and your, your inclination would be to make it this, this vile, loathsome being. And in fact, Lovecraft doesn't really use those kind of adjectives. And his approach uh, was, uh, called mechanistic materialism 
mechanistic and that the universe doesn't have a meaning. Hmm. Um, materialist is, is, you know, there's not a spirituality going on. Well, but the universe can get you, but it's not getting you out of it. <laughs> it doesn't care. It's just going to smash you. So the universe is practicing a kind of nihilism, which <laughs> smash what you can smash. If it's not smashable, then maybe it's, uh, it's, it has use. <laughs> yeah. So what happens to morality under a nihilistic paradigm? Well, I think the better question to ask, right, is does morality need a higher power, a, a, something that provides a source or a foundation of meaning? And does nihilism um, exclude that by its very existence? Nihilism excludes the exterior uh, source of supernatural or supranatural deistic or anything else power and therefore says morality is done and and when nietzsche had a had a character uh looking for god couldn't find god and and finally declares the famous god god is dead and we have killed him we are the the, the murderers murderers <laughs> and, and you take all of the parts very interesting but but the but in literatures where all of this really comes to fruition but it, about the morality question i don't believe that morality is we've said this we've talked about it before it is not exclusively located in any religious tradition no religious tradition in my view can claim that it has the right answer and everything else is wrong and to do so is to excise too much of humanity to 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 accept that uh, or that you have to be bludgeoned into believing or led into believing or prayed to believe or whatever it happens to be to to assert that you have the morality and everybody else doesn't is to deny what we see in active practice every day in human beings so i i deny nihilism too because i think we have uh, a whether one calls it moral in small terms or ethical in large terms, I think there's a component in us that says this this should be done. This yeah. thing should be done. Whether you call it conscious or anything else. And if we have that, see, nihilism wants to, wants to uh, take apart the idea that there's any such thing as human nature. Hmm. Well, and we've talked about human nature too from time to time. I don't think it's important to, to say that it's human nature. Whether we evolved this idea of, oh, I'm aware of myself and therefore there are things I should do or could do that might seem right. I, I, I think that, no, I don't think there's a moral component to nihilism. Yeah, I, I don't think it was Nietzsche. It might have been, though, but I was when I was reading, researching for the, the show, there was a one nihilistic philosopher that said, you know, the undoing of Christianity wasn't the fact that in modern times we've abandoned it, but that we became too close to it. And that by becoming too close and being able to examine the precepts, we found that they were faulty and it was the disillusion of the, of the religion. In some yeah. Ways. yeah. And so I think that gets at what you were saying initially about, um, religious traditions trying to have a stranglehold on meaning on purpose on morality and again i think that, that foreshadows next week's discussion about fascism and, and political you know um sort of yes views as well 
but uh yeah it's um you know this this brings me back to what what I've been talking about the past couple of weeks the book that I was reading Stephen Hawking's final theory yeah, right her talking book and yeah. and you know talking about okay well if you're a nihilist and you want to say well there is no such thing as morality and and you know starting at at a specific level like that I think your chances of success are a little bit higher where people might go well you know I, I, how do you prove that there is a good and a bad that sort of thing and then if you go back, but if you start moving to more general things, you say, well, there's no such thing as human nature. And you go, well, it seems like there's a pretty good argument that there is, but, you know, may, we'll grant that. But, you know, at, even at the base value, human nature by extension is really part of cosmic nature, right? Which is kind of Hawking's last theory where you go, all right, if you take a worm's eye view of the universe rather than Look, using the anthropic principle to say, what are the chances things would be this specific? Instead, you go, well, no, this is the only way they could have turned out based upon how things progressed, right? So In this universe. Right. So our behavior is basically cosmic nature, right? Things have evolved throughout time to lead it to this point, and here we are. We're doing it. And Annihilus might go, well, yeah, but you know what? Um, you know, none of this exists, Right. And you go, well, now we're into solipsism, right? We're into this, this sort of territory where you go, yeah, okay, I guess you can't prove or disprove anything. Where does that get you, right? What does that do? And that's what I was trying to capture in the intro, talking about presuppositions, right? Mm -hmm. Is this, mm -hmm. you know, in, in, in most forms of philosophy or thinking, um, even in science, right, what we think of as empiricism, you know, at, at a, a, a hypothesis stage, you have to have some presuppositions about what it is you're looking at in order to even formulate a question, in, in order to even think about studying something. And I think that nihilism can sort of, you know, if you get defeated at the specific stages and you keep going more and more general, it's almost the anti-anthropic principle, right? You get to this point where you go, oh, well, I'm just going to state an untestable, unprovable thing that, you know, nobody can say is wrong by saying, <laughs> well, nothing exists at all, right? And you go, that might be the case. It might be the case. I can't prove that anything exists technically, but it it's unhelpful. It's uninteresting. It's unuseful. So, you know, why don't we start with a position where we can actually have a discussion about what's going on? Well, that that the the presupposition of 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 use is built into that earliest literary or well literary slash philosophical statement about the smashing of things. Hmm. I mean, it's interesting because. They weren't talking about smashing things down to atoms, down to particles, down. But you know, we smash things down to a size that we can't smash it down to anymore, like particles. <laughs> or we can, I guess, we can dismantle some particles. But, but what does that lead us? What, what what does that leave us with? What are we looking for? Well, we're trying to f figure out how it works. Oh, okay, we're, if we can figure out how the universe works, why do we want to know that? Hmm. Is there a moral purpose for knowing that? Not necessarily. Is science therefore nihilistic? I wouldn't. I wouldn't argue that. But I think that you can find strands of it. But I, I think people who try to—it's like you just said. So what? What do you end up with? 
this the Batman film thing again with Heath Ledger doing the Joker. And the script has him say at some point, uh, uh, "I don't know what I'm doing. Uh, I'm I'm just a dog chasing a wheel, right? uh, trying to present himself as an agent of chaos, uh, a kind of nihilistic being." But you you sit there and you laugh. You say that nonsense. Of course, you you've gotten this dynamite. You stack this money up that you've burned. You've attacked the the mobs because you want to do. It. You've got all kinds of purposes. You've got all kinds of schemes. And so you, you the the, uh, the attempt to claim that you're a nihilist is uh, is, is loathsome. Yeah, <laughs> is is itself a moral inadequacy. Yeah, and the the novel I'm currently writing, I've got a a character that is hmm. is uh, supposed to be the embodiment of chaos, right? And and writing a story thread for her um, is very difficult because you have to weave in her doing good things, bad things, crazy things, you know, well thought out things. Like you have to be all over the map with it in order to create the character as believably being chaotic or, Mm -hmm. you know, Mm -hmm. and yeah, that's something that when, when you start examining nihilistic philosophy, um, sometimes it starts to break down. That's where I was, what I was talking about earlier in the episode when we were talking about active versus passive nihilism and the Uber mentioned things um, is I think when, when you get into that part of it, you almost start to go, well, wait a minute. It seems like you're trying to give meaning to things again. Right. I think when, with the passive stuff, that's where you're, you're just tearing things down, right? You're smashing to see what's still there. But I think part of nihilism is saying that when you start smashing, there will be nothing there. But but if the, you but find the, something, that active, maybe yeah. But the act of nihilism is saying you're going to smash. There will be something there, and then you can build off of it. And to me, that's almost anti-nihilistic in some yes, ways. Yes, it's it's a, a worm eating its own tail in a very strange way. Yeah, yeah, yes. It's very it's the Ouroboros. Um, do different cultural contexts fundamentally affect moral anchoring under nihilism, do you think? Hmm. So when you say different cultural contexts, do you, do you, do you mean within uh, uh, globally? Yeah, I guess um, you know, we can look at it a couple of different ways. You know, next week we're going to talk about um, you know, kind of political institutional yeah. Um, traditionalism. So, um, you know, does your political leanings affect moral anchoring for nihilism? Does your, you know, does your um, geographical location or um, the history of your your place or do any of these things that we sort of amalgamate into the concept of culture, do you think that they affect moral anchoring and how nihilism is is thought about i think they certainly can the the first part of the question the second part of how nihilism is thought about i think i i think that there's they they first they 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 can uh, affect it because if you are taking positions that you don't even know are nihilistic you aren't actively intentionally necessarily trying to be nihilistic but you that doesn't mean that you aren't doing uh, things in a nihilistic way and so yes it would it would affect your morality if if you if you if you dehumanize a group of people and then even further you just want them not to be there you're essentially trying to smash 
going back to that, I think it's, a, it's, a, it's an important word. You're trying to smash it, those people, out of existence. And if you're doing that and you don't even understand what nihilism means, you've done yourself a disservice. If you're doing that and you're pretending you don't know what it means, but you're really doing it for those purposes, then you are doing it with a moral, which is to say an immoral, intent. It's, it's, you, so you, you, well, so, so what? Well, if you claim that you're not nihilist, you're just trying to save the culture. <laughs> if you, if you understand what nihilism means, you're, you're saying, well, what I'm doing is just breaking things. Everything that I don't want around, I want to smash. I also want to smash authority because I don't want to believe things that people are saying unless I believe them. And I will smash authority down to the simplest possible components, which is conspiratorial thinking. <laughs> we can we don't know who they, they are. Just the word they becomes the the authority or the enemy. Mm. That's so dangerous. That that kind of pronoun universalization. Yeah. Um, and we know it happens. We know it happens. And so that's a nihilistic effect, mm. a, a result. Whether or not it was intended that way. Yeah, I think that. But I there's not a moral, in, there's not a, a defensible moral intent in it. Yeah, I think somebody's conception <laughs> of, of nihilism and, and maybe even their implementation of nihilistic philosophy is going to be heavily influenced by cultural factors. Um, just thinking about, uh, you know, religion, for instance, like, um, like I mentioned earlier, some some scholars like to say that the Buddha was the first nihilist, right? Yeah, yeah. So somebody who comes from um, an area that has a Buddhist tradition, right? If they're brought up that way, versus somebody who is brought up in a in a theistic tradition, um, even if they both um, try to, even if they both abandon their religion, right, and decide that to become nihilist. I think that those initial encounters with religion, those initial teachings, all those things that get integrated into their prior learning and, and their early impressionable you know, years, I think that's going to carry over into how they, how they think. Because you know, I'm, I'm, I, I don't think that this position of believing in the meaninglessness or purposelessness of anything really exists, right? Because the more that we talk about it, the more we find that the nihilist is really in some ways trying to preserve meaning, but they're just trying to change what it means versus traditionally what is meant. Who, who's the what's the source of meaning? Yeah, yeah. So the existentialists say the source of meaning, if there is any, with that, you know, that qualification, if there is any, is the meaning that we make. Nietzsche, it's nihilism, he's, he's essentially saying there's no order, there's no structure that, uh, that, uh, 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 that's objective to the world, except what we give it. But that's not objective. Unless you've broken everything else and what survives, well, that, that's it. Then you've got an apocalyptic landscape. You know, I, it, it, it right, still doesn't cohere. Because you, 
because you end up with evidence to the contrary, right? Where, again, and this, this is sort of an embodiment of Hawking's theory, right? Where he says, okay, the anthropic principle is saying, look at the order that you see and what are the chances that order is there? Very small. But the opposite position is that what you actually see is complete chaos, but we just say that it's order because it's our order, you know? Mm -hmm. So that that's one way of looking at it. But but nihilism is go going beyond that and saying, okay, well, there there is no order. And to that, you have sort of Cartesian philosophy, right? Saying, but I'm thinking, right? <laughs> you know? Right. They say there's no objective order. That is an order that has been established from outside. Right. And yet, <laughs> we find not an order we necessarily like, and an order that an order that uh, seems to be stymieing us, and an order that has not entirely been uh, described yet. If we talk about physics, which we go back to a lot, um, nonetheless, there's things can be predicted. In, in there are some predictive elements to physics, right? As an example, so that's order. Now, if that's misleading, is it misleading because everybody's getting it wrong? I, well, I, I yeah. think you know, it's yeah, like I, you're saying, it right. just doesn't. Yeah, epistemological nihilism seems to fail because we see order all around us as a result of empirical study, right? We are sitting in a manufactured room. The gypsum minerals make up the walls. Yep. You know, cut timber makes up the floors. We've we've made order out of chaotic nature in order to be here. So in, they're, in order they're, to be here. Yeah. Right? <laughs> when you have ontological nihilism, right? I, I think that's where Descartes comes in and says, well, you and I are sitting here thinking we're talking to each other. We're making sense of what we're saying. We have a subjective experience, you know, hmm. metaphysical nihilism. You know, that that's the one where you just say, well, nothing exists at all. And you go, okay, well, there's no way of proving or disproving that. So the value of the theory, the parsimoniousness of, of <laughs> what you're saying is non-existent. Like <laughs> um, so each one sort of has these things where, where you know, you, you, you can look at it and you can say, well, Unless you're willing to resort to a theory that is not parsimonious um, or just lacks any predictive power, any falsifiability, um, you're, you're, it's really struggling as a concept. In some it, it is. I mean, it's back to Nietzsche. All values are baseless. I don't think he even meant that necessarily when you read but all values are basis, and um, reason is impotent. Well, if all values are baseless, I mean, if, if you're saying that there's no reason why you would say this is good and this is bad, even that is not saying there's no such thing as good and bad, it's just a relativistic thing among everyone else. But if good and bad don't exist, then there's just things that are done. Do those things that are done ultimately lead to some, some end result that is worse than it would have been otherwise? We can't, we can't know that, but we have this internal sense that something's wrong. But we have, we have a kind of nihilism go on in culture 
folks. It's sort of a twisted, not 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 pure, because I'm not sure pure exists. Um, Holocaust deniers. Hmm. Deniers that anything bad ever happened in history. Certainly nothing that we did. <laughs> uh, and in fact, there's great use in some of the things that happened. That's borderline nihilistic, and it's hypocritical, and it's self, <laughs> not just self-deceptive, but self -de uh, it denies itself. Because you're, oh, well, there, there is no good. Well, yeah, there's goodness, but the goodness is everywhere. And so there couldn't be a bad act because after all, it led to good results. So this is misinterpreting consequentialism mm, yeah. <laughs> as some kind of random event. I, I, it just doesn't work. Yeah. And I think that that's where I'm a little <laughs> bit more amenable to existentialism mm -hmm. because existentialism doesn't deny the subjective aspect of of the world right it might say listen before you were born there was just a cold indifferent universe that developed and now you're here and someday you will die and nothing that you ever did meant anything and that's a position where you can look at it and you can go okay i can understand that and you can reason you can rationalize a reason for why that might be the case but to just take it that next step further and say, oh, well, nope, actually, uh, you know, even your subjective experience doesn't exist and your ability to know anything or feel anything or your personal idea of what is right and wrong, none of those things exist. To me, that's that's a, a bridge too far. You know? it, it is a bridge too far. And it is exactly why I, I do like the, I like is not, is, is the, is a useless term. I find the the existential response and the absurdist response, both of them, very interesting. The fact that one tries to prove it's better than the other is, is disinteresting to me. But because there is still the human element, ultimately the element is in in, in life. Life, we experience it. We maybe it's just about experience being enough hmm. there's some kind of zen in that <laughs> yeah of but if you're going to try to remove even the value of experiencing life i think for me that's a bridge too far too yeah it brings me back to what we were talking about earlier a sisyphus and tolstoy right if sisyphus is doomed to eternity of rolling a heavy stone up a hill just to have it roll back mm -hmm. and the absurdist says well you know what if he can come to just enjoy experience things because he knows that there's no inherent meaning in what he's doing but mm -hmm. he and he can enjoy the grass on the hill or the blue sky or yeah. you know the the pieces of garnet in the stone or whatever it is you know or the he can enjoy it and if Tolstoy, you know, the most famous writer of his time and somebody who was extremely accomplished Dower Russian. <laughs> can just can just talk about how for decades he walked around with a, a loaded gun in his house just trying to summon the courage to end his own life, right? Yeah. You go, well, how can you look at those two conceptions and say that there is no meaning in at least the subjective experience, right? The ability for me to 
change my perspective. And this is some of what Nietzsche said, you mm-hmm. know, my, the ability of me to change my perspective and create meaning and purpose, even if that doesn't have an objective or explicit meaning or purpose outside of my own. Yeah, you know, it becomes thing. one's own. You rise to what you can rise to. Yeah. So, is nihilism liberating or dangerous? <laughs> I don't know that I'm allowed to say, to chime in on that. I mean, it's, give me a second on this because I'm thinking through it. Is, is it liberating or dangerous? Why can't it be both? First, why, why does, what, what is the, uh, the bipolarity of that? Is it, is it necessary to have that, that duality? Uh, one might say, yes, it's liberating to think that there's no meaning anywhere. There is no right or wrong. I think there is a temptation to, one might feel liberated, but liberated to what? Nothingness? And, and still being alive. And, uh, it's certainly not an attractive liberation. There are, there are liberations that, that lead to meaning of some kind, I think. But, uh, dissolution. You can have moments of dissolution. I was at a beach yesterday. The waves were compounding in. The, the colors were amazing. The, the clouds were moving. I was going to say the sky was moving, but you know, the clouds are moving. And, and I'm, <clears throat> I'm walking with my family at various, various clusters, you know, and, and, and some of my family, they aren't, couldn't all be there. And, and my granddaughter, who keeps running back to me and showing me a stone and running back to me. And then, and I, and at one point I said to her, stand here in the water, let it splash against you, close your eyes, open your arms and see how that feels. And she kind of liked that. And, and, and I don't know what I was trying to do with that. It was this goofy grandpa, but I, I felt almost dissolved into the world at the same time that I was, oh, I, I wouldn't have, I've had that moment now. It's in the block. Right? <laughs> I, I, I can't go back and have that same moment. I can go back and to that place and have other moments uh, to dissolve and not to experience. Now we're starting to talk Hamlet stuff. Mm, yeah. To sleep and not to dream or to dream. Yeah. yeah. Um, I, I think that for me, as one person, one thinking person, one feeling person, there isn't the kind of liberation that I'm interested in. What was the second part? Is it liberating or, or dangerous? Is it dangerous? It can certainly be dangerous to think there's nothing that's good or evil if you then decide to go on and do things that other people would consider to be um, harmful um, and let's move past the consider to be, because that's what leads to traditions and laws which change, and we'll talk about that later. Um, if you feel liberated to do anything to anybody because you can, because there are no understood civilities, then that's dangerous. Yeah, I, it's funny, you know, they've done some studies and what they found is, you know, like, hey, um, they'll find people who are atheists, right? And they'll say, okay, you're an atheist. Yeah, you don't have any, you don't believe in any religion. Do you believe in good and bad? No, those are things that people just made up. Yeah. And then they test them 
they, they've done, you know, tests to see how they actually act. And what they find is that these people fall into moral behavior when there's no rational reason to do so if your self-proclaimed belief is that there is no God, there is no good and bad. What's to stop you from doing anything, right? But by and large, these people do not. As a matter of fact, they're more well-behaved than the people who do profess that they believe that there's a God mm -hmm. based off of scientific studies that mm -hmm. have been done. Mm -hmm. So, it, and it brings me back to what we were talking about in a previous episode. I want to say it was David Chalmers. might have been somebody else, though, who said, if you sit down at a keyboard and you just want to create a melody, it's almost impossible. You have to start with a melody in mind and then you have to modify it, right? That's kind of the same thing with ideas of, of morality, right? If if you were just sit, if we just sit down and I were to say, you know what, I don't believe there's a God and you know what, I'm nihilistic. I don't believe that there's really anything at all. I can do anything that I want, right? You're almost paralyzed. It's like that disillusion when you're standing in the ocean, right? Yeah. There's this moment where you feel free and this moment where it's you almost, it is almost, yeah, it's almost Buddhist in a way where you feel one with the universe, right? You almost go, wow, like I'm just here. But you lose your sense of self when that happens. So like you, all of a sudden, you go, well, if nothing matters and there's no purpose and there's no meaning, then there's no me, right? That's the, that's the essential conclusion that is drawn. There's no me, right? Mm -hmm. And so I think that the it's answer is that it's liberating and dangerous, right? Or it's liberating and can be dangerous. You know, I think that it depends on how far you take it, where it takes you. And I think that those things are contingent on, um, you know, your, your cultural background, your personal beliefs, what's happening in the moment. Mm -hmm. All of those things play into that. So, you know, there's no, you know, it, nihilism, it's, it's as if we're, we're all drops in the ocean, right? Some of us are at the crest of the wave and some of us are in the Marianas Trench. And so to say that there's no nothing is going to affect different parts vastly different. Exactly. I have a friend in college who swore that he was nihilist. And as you just said, he was, you know, he was gruff, he was rough-edged, he was not somebody who was easy to, to get to know. But I never saw him do anything other than treat people well. <laughs> so good for him if he's a nihilist. I don't think it changed his trajectory. Yeah. And if you were to ask him, well, why? Why are you why are you good to people when you don't have to be? Oh, we had those conversations. You can get anywhere. <laughs> 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 well, this was fun. And I feel like this was actually, I was a little nervous about it because when you're talking about such a kind of amorphous topic, you go, oh, I don't, we're not going to get anywhere. We're going right. from nowhere to nothing. Right. right. Um, but I, I feel like we did a pretty good job with, with the overview and, and, and covering little pieces of it. So and, yeah. And it'll lead us to things. Stay tuned for uh, our next episode, looking into uh, some similar concepts until next time. Keep